This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had, everyone had a fantastic fourth. Byron York's going to put politics in perspective with us uh, this hour, and we're going to take a lot of your calls, 1-866-408-7669. So a lot of people were in the patriotic mood, depending on the states you're in, the city uh, that you're in. We also saw a lot of shootings. We saw a lot of campaigning. A lot of action as we have uh, celebrate year 247. Hope you enjoyed our special edition on the 4th. We're back in action live today uh, and taking your calls. First, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Government officials have been caught repeatedly pushing social media platforms to censor disfavored users and content. They are creating blacklists of disfavored people and then pressuring, cajoling, and demanding that social media platforms ban the people on those lists. And that's part of the reason why this is so important. And this is big news. And you probably have not heard it yet. Don't try it. Stunning and welcoming ruling. The Biden administration preventing from manipulating and intimidating social media companies. For example, what the Dems and Biden have been doing since Trump took office in 2016. Number two. It's frankly inconsistent with FBI and DOJ practices, uh, U.S. attorney manuals. And I think, you know, we're left, you know, at this point, it's no longer a question of not uh, of whether or not there's corruption. It's who's involved in the corruption. Is that unbelievable? John Radcliffe. And here we go. Hunter, you wouldn't really cocaine found at the White House. More evidence emerges of complete corruption behind the scenes that led to David Weiss's decision to give him that sweetheart deal. This is getting bigger and Joe Biden can't control it. Number one. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that. Okay, I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle by any stretch. Okay, but clearly Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner. And that is Stephen Cortez, uh, who was a key guy for Donald Trump, but is not now, not anti-Trump, but he's pro-team DeSantis. And they admit he's trailing, in words of Donald Trump, by a lot. How does he close the gap? Is it even possible? Can he raise the money to keep his profile high and and the endurance going? And is Trump catchable if he's not debatable? 
He has the best team, and Joe Biden is making his presidency look better every day. And that's one of the big things I think is underappreciated. And by the way, if you ever need to get the podcast, if you ever can't listen to the show live, just go to BrianKilmeadShow.com. So that's the one thing that's underestimated. People say, well, what's the difference in a rematch? And there's a huge difference. Number one, no pandemic. Number two, Donald Trump's not president. So not that chaos of Ukraine, not the chaos of, of uh, the Russia hoax, not the chaos of uh, Anthony Fauci going against the president and then the, uh, the operation, uh, you know, turbo operation, uh, you know, to, to, get the, to get the vaccine going. There's none of this drama. So Donald Trump, the problem with Donald Trump since then, a lot has changed. He's under the two indictments, could be four indictments. But many people see his political, and you saw his numbers go up. Number two, Donald, we saw Joe Biden for three years. Anyone pleased by that? Do you know what anyone said? You know, people do come out and say, wow, he accomplished a lot. Now, you look at wholesome legislation, you could say bipartisan on the, uh, you know, on the infrastructure. Okay, bipartisan infrastructure. And a lot of that stuff wasn't executed the way it was written, but that's fine. And then you see bipartisan on gun laws. Okay, bipartisan. Well, I thought it was some logical things they did. They looked at some of the recent shootings. They said, maybe we can tighten a few things up and give people a chance to do the red flag laws. But don't make states do it. Put the money out there and give them incentives to do it, to implement it. But don't make them do it. And they said, okay, big gains. But, of course, shootings still happen. So Republicans are still terrible people. And, of course, this whole shooting is not the fact that nobody goes to jail. Like that idiot Stephen Krasner with the horrible shooting in Philadelphia. And it turns out Krasner goes, the problem is it's Republicans and gun laws. It's not the problem that you are allowing every criminal to get out of prison and no go to prison. Number two, it's not the problem. You've been to Philadelphia lately. I'm just going to add to this because I don't want to get too heavily into it. Because shooting's just done to nauseam other channels. Do you know that, and they described this shooter today on all these other channels in Philadelphia. They got him. He's in custody. Great. Shot a kid, shot another kid, uh, I think a two-year-old, three times in the legs. Unthinkable things. Do you know who this guy is? Upon further review, he's a cross-dresser. Pictures of him on the Internet. And big Black Lives Matter advocate. As I listen to other channels, the small stations and the big stations report this story. Nobody brings up either one of those things. Now, if he was a Trump supporter... Do you think for a second they wouldn't go, a Trump supporter unhinged in Philadelphia went out randomly shooting children purposely? So when you go and indict the president, the former president, he's not going to be mortally wounded because no one believes that this isn't polit- uh, politically oriented. So let's look at 2024. Now, for the first time in a long time, you know, we have some polling and it shows that Anthony, uh, you, you have basically Ron DeSantis uh, is the only one in solidly second, but he's not increased his uh, the deficit. In fact, he's lost a couple of points in most in some recent states, and they wonder why. Well, number one, the six week abortion ban is not helping him. It might help him in some sections in evangelical areas. I don't care if you're 100 percent pro life. You got to do things that are going to get you elected, and and six weeks was not smart. Number two is uh, Ron DeSantis has this crazy uh, uh, ad out saying that President Trump is pro, uh, pro-gay pro rights. No, I, he just he's not against same-sex marriage. Most Republicans are not against same-sex marriage. He doesn't seem to think it's an issue. And rolling out a clip of President Trump saying, you know, I, I think the LGBTQ rights should be protected is not a bad thing. I don't know who in their super PAC thought it would be a good idea to roll that out. Uh, doesn't seem to make sense to me, but you tell me if I'm wrong. 
So here's Ron DeSantis campaigning yesterday. Uh, by the way, in the rain, love it, uh, with his wife, fantastic, in New Hampshire, good move, cut to. And I think I'm the only guy running who's been very clear um, about that issue. Book ideology impacts the economy, the military, criminal law, everything. I've defeated the woke in Florida. As president, together, we will defeat the woke all across this country. Right. And Steve Cortez came out and said, what many people jotted down, front of Drudge, front of most websites, the first time someone on the Trump team, um, DeSantis team came out and said, we're losing a team Trump, cut one. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But clearly Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner, uh, particularly since the indictments. That was not the case before the indictments. It is the case afterwards. So many people thought it would weaken him. It didn't. Got it. Understood it. Also, you can't underestimate the sanity of the Trump team. They're real good. They go on the attack when necessary. Uh, They're protecting the guy the best he can. For the most part, he seems to be listening and keeping a low profile. And when he goes out in South Carolina, he gets 50,000 people. And I think even if you're a Democrat, you have to say to yourself, nobody, including Barack Obama, would get 50,000 people anywhere. I don't think so. 25,000. I don't think so. Goes to South Carolina, gets that type of number. Now, I'm not saying it's going to close the gap in Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. But you have to be scratching your head and saying with all the negative publicity, all the mistakes that the president's made from January 6th on down to even taking the documents to begin with, even if you think that he's 100% innocent, it just doesn't help. It's not helpful. If Barack Obama took a bunch of documents, didn't sign him out, and all of a sudden refuses to return them, I'm sure he would have been treated differently, but still you'd say, Obama, what are, what are you doing? Why would you do it? George W. Bush, what are you doing? Why would you cause yourself this type of angst? What's the problem? So you could say there's a missteps, unnecessary problems. Having said all that, I think his message is pretty clear, and I think the underestimating of how bad Joe Biden's been to the general America and so far the openness, it seems, according to some polls, of white married women to come back into the Republican camp is I find it flat out fascinating. Now, before we go to break, and I'll take your calls on this, something really important took place on July 4th. And who works on July 4th? But this U.S. District Court, this guy, uh, judge, his name is Terry Dowdy, and he was appointed by Trump. Okay, fine. But do you know he was approved 98-0? So you had these two attorney generals bring up uh, bring up to this judge and say, listen, I'm calling for an injunction and a ban on all Democrat and Biden, Biden officials in particular. Stop manipulating. Stop contacting social media outlets from Facebook to Twitter to, tw- uh, to even if it's TikTok. Stop it. Because we saw what you did in 2016. We saw what you did in 2020 with the laptop and everything else. We saw what came out thanks to Michael Schellenberger and Matt uh, and actually, Elon Musk, let's be honest, and Matt Taibbi. You saw what happened. You saw they manipulated things that we would never see, and they just suppressed things that we didn't even know about. And you saw the results of an election that people doubt. That's the biggest thing. Anti-American, they have people doubt elections. You might blame Trump on this. But you know who else deserves a ton of the blame? 
social media outlets and Democratic Party who go out of their way to say president was illegitimate in 2016 and to go out there and see some uh, tweets and some news and make sure they don't get into the mainstream because you don't deem them positive for your camp under the auspices of saying it's unhealthy and disinformation. Much of that disinformation ends up being good information. Oops, sorry about that. Election's over. Not anymore. So get this. The ruling on Tuesday in a lawsuit brought by attorneys generals in Louisiana, Missouri, is likely to be appealed. I get it. But it'll go to the fifth district court known as the conservative court, appeals court. But its impact is sweeping. Here it is. Although he has yet to produce a final ruling as it stands now, Daddy Louisiana said this on Tuesday. They have produced evidence of a massive effort by defendants. Uh, that is the Biden uh, Democrats and the Biden administration from the White House to federal agencies to suppress speech based on content. How big is this? He goes on to rule that if the allegations made by plaintiffs are true and they seem to be, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack against the free speech in United States history. In their attempts to suppress alleged disinformation, the federal government and particularly the defendants named here are alleged to have blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech, although the censorship alleged in the case almost exclusively targeted conservative speech. Now, you might say, well, Anthony Fauci said to put on a mask. Anthony Fauci said don't put on a mask. Have you put up the wrong thing? You should be suppressed. And Anthony Fauci made that request through the NI, uh, through uh, through all his agencies, if not directly. There's some proof that he called himself. So this goes to show everything that Taibbi was able to unearth when Elon Musk gave him the keys to this information. Almost all of it was anti-conservative. Almost all of it was anti-Trump. Almost all of it was pro-vaccine. Almost all of it was pro-whatever the government was putting out, even if they would reverse it a short time later. And we found out a lot of those decisions were politically oriented towards the teachers' unions when it came to schooling, uh, towards the medical profession and protection when it comes to Fauci and company and the CDC. This is, to me, unbelievable. And for those people who think this injunction is going to be quickly overturned, you're wrong. So what does it mean? It means the FBI, if they go to pick up the phone on the behest or, or contact on the behest of this administration to do anything in terms of suppressing speech on, on any of these major social media or minor social media outlets, uh, you are breaking the law. And that's what is called game on. Now, it means that there's going to be things on there that you're not going to be happy with. That's going to say, you know, last night Mars was, uh, Mars continues to subtly attack the United States in ways we can't be detected. And it's going to set off some lunatics. I get that. You can't just say, let, let it be free reign. I understand that. If they say uh, it's up to all of us to, to grab a firearm and, and create havoc in the streets, obviously that's not to anyone's benefit. And that is dangerous information, but not political information. If you don't like that, if people, th- if you don't like the fact that people are questioning Joe Biden's mental fitness, you can't take it down. You can't shadow ban it. Understand? Not anymore. Four on fire. Twitter is still a powerful force, even though it's losing money. Facebook is still a powerful force, even though you're probably not on it anymore. It's still a powerful force. People take out a lot of ads. And I think people are going to be just watching like a hawk what goes up and who gets shadow banned. If Don Jr. starts to get shadow banned, these people are going to say they're not going to get away with it, not going to do a, uh, a wink and a nod. It's going to be called federal. This is your violation of the First Amendment. We're going to court.
Just the beginning. one 408 7669 I don't want to take up too much time. When I come back, I want to get some of your calls in. Then we're going to talk more about 2024 with Byron York and the strategy from here on in. And I think it really heats up after the 4th of July. I know a lot of you are going on vacation, but you're not going to, you should not lose touch. Case in point, what happened on July 4th itself? Whoever thought there'd be a consequential ruling like that then, as well as I didn't even touch on the Hunter Biden revelation, cocaine fine found at the White House. Don't know who else is found at the White House 24 hours a day? A cocaine user. Who could have put it there? They were already speculating it could be a tourist. Exactly. So many tourists go to the White House with cocaine thinking, why don't I just leave it here? Back in a moment. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Let's just review the facts here. You had President Trump appoint a U.S. attorney in Delaware, and President Biden had the ability to fire that U.S. attorney if he wanted, as is customary. The new president comes in, they remove all the U.S. attorneys. President Biden didn't fire the U.S. attorney. He had his past opponents, appointee, have total power over making a decision By the way, uh, Ro Kahana, disappointing. Now, on the surface, he's right. Yeah, David Weiss was appointed by Donald Trump. But when he was asked to bring this case, he was told, uh, Gary Shapley said, he was told, told them in a meeting with 10 people there, including FBI agents memorialized in real time, that he could not bring it anywhere he wanted, wanted special special counsel status, did not get it. And then after Shapley came out, gave two interviews, CBS and Brett Baer with Fox. Then he goes, in Delaware, I could have brought it, but I don't have jurisdiction to bring it to other areas. And that was clear. So he's skirting the issue. He's splitting hairs because Shapley is right. Shapley is the IRS investigator. I know nothing about him except for everything he does, he has backup. That's what kind of accountants do, IRS people. They look for empirical proof. So he memorialized it, sent an email out to other people in the room and said, did David Weiss say that? As you remembered, they said yes. He provided those emails. And he's willing to testify again in court and put David Weiss next to him for a change so they don't deny it. Now it turns out most of the cases and the substance was in D.C. or in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, it's proof. They said no in D.C., no no doubt that Matt Graves said no because he has not denied it. So he has to go and say, what's the case in Delaware? Already he begins to get limited. Didn't get special counsel. He says there's no difference. There is a difference. That is a flat-out lie. Then we find out he couldn't look into overseas business dealings and they couldn't touch Joe. That's special status, don't you think? I'm pretty sure you all agree with that. 
Here is uh, Roy Listen on WVGA. Real quick, Roy, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was just listening to a speech by Vivek Ravaswamy about uh, abolishing the Department of Education as one of his first acts when he becomes president. And I think he should go a step further and do the Energy Department and EPA. I mean, give those back to the states where it needs to be anyway. Absolutely. And if you want to be one of those environmental-centric states that destroys your economy for some lark that Al Gore made a movie on, made tons of money off, go ahead and do it. But in West Virginia, where a lot of that oil and gas is and the pipelines are needed, leave them alone. How about that? There's a lot to do. And you could do it being environmentally conscious. It doesn't matter. You don't have dirty air. Be responsible. Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think they're all alarmed at uh, the president's condition. He's obviously senile. Uh, He's faltering. Uh, He's not going to get better between now and Election Day and beyond. So I think everybody's worried about it. It's just that not everybody will say it. Uh, The idea that he needs a tune-up by going into primary debates and looking bad, I'm not sure that's the best political advice I've ever heard. Um, but that's, I, I guess, one way of looking at it. Uh, but in the meantime, obviously, they have a problem. And I, I, Mike, I don't think there's any doubt that if, if the Democrats were not convinced that uh, Donald Trump was going to be the Republican candidate, that they would dare nominate this president. There's a couple of things. Britt Hume's always right, uh, number two, uh, number one. Number two... I, I just don't think that you, if it's Barack Obama and George Bush, remember their first debate when they got to the general, they were bad. Mitt Romney crushed them, and, and I think George Bush was terrible. He just wasn't used to debating. He was used to governing. But that's not the case with Joe Biden, and I think everybody knows that. Uh, joining us now is uh, Byron York, chief political correspondent, Washington Examiner. Byron, so what Brit is referring to is that political story where they said they really think they need to test and challenge and, and get Joe Biden ready for the general election. Do you really think he needs to get ready? Well, I, you know, I don't have a lot to add to what Britt said, which I thought was absolutely spot on. Um, but uh, the, the fact is, not only have we seen, just you and I and everybody else, seen the president slow down before our very eyes, uh, we know that, that majorities of Americans, including Democrats, when they answer pollsters, 
say they do not believe that Biden has the physical or mental uh, ability and stamina to be president of the United States, much less to be president of the United States until 2029, which is what would happen if he were reelected. So, I mean, that's that is a huge issue. Uh, and and the, the, the key point I think uh, uh, Britt was making was that this sort of thing, you know, uh, uh, old age decline uh, doesn't reverse itself. Biden is not can't go to like boot camp and come out really, really sharp. <laughs> uh, and that's what the article was suggesting. The article was suggesting that as an incumbent president, Biden has gotten kind of flabby and out of practice and he needs to have some debates to sharpen him up for the general election. And uh, I think Britt was kind of diplomatic, saying that's not the best political advice he'd ever heard. Uh, but I think it would be kind of a disastrous thing. And that's why we're seeing the Democratic Party saying absolutely no, no, no to any primary debates. And do you think that people are just having a good time with Gavin Newsom following him around? He does the Sean Hannity interview and he blushes when asked about running for president. He said, I'm just going to bat for Joe Biden. I mean, this would be as dramatic as anything we've seen in quite some time. If Joe Biden was to pull out, even though it seems like the obvious, the right thing to do. Can you imagine that moment when it becomes clear if Joe Biden's going to bump out and then all hell would break loose, right? You'd have Pete Buttigieg think he's president and Kamala Harris said I should be president. And then you'll have Gavin Newsom saying, look at me, I look like a president. And the governor of Illinois saying, I'm rich. I mean, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. You know, I have written about this, and I think there there could be something interesting going on. If you look at the polling of uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., in 15, 16, 17 percent. Um, you look at the polling for Marianne Williamson, who, who got, I think, in the latest Fox News poll, got 10 percent. And then you look at the polling for voters, Democrats, who say they just want an unnamed other candidate, somebody other than Joe Biden. Look, I don't think that many Democrats seriously want Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to be the president of the United States. The same for Marianne Williamson. I think this is a measurement of how many Democrats just want somebody other than Joe Biden. So the the real wild card here is I don't think RFK Jr. is going to go on some uh, enormous tear and, and take the lead in the Democratic race. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but what if some mainstream uh, Democrat like Gavin Newsom, like Amy Klobuchar, like somebody uh, who who is a credible Democratic candidate for president comes out and says the obvious, which is, look, everybody can see this. We're, you know, we're grateful for Joe Biden's many decades of service to the United States. And, but it's time to move on to a new generation of leadership and build on the great accomplishments of Joe Biden. Uh, you know, if, if some Democrat would come out and say that, um, I don't know what would happen in the race, um, but it's it's possible that a large number of Democrats would say, yes, it is, in fact, time to move on from the, the Biden generation, who is, after all, a pre-baby boomer. Byron, the crazy thing is, if this was Republicans and Donald Trump was Donald Trump, let's say he was slipping, forgetting his name, forgetting what country we're at war with or supplying, there would be about 10 Republicans to step up. I could name it. Liz Cheney would be there. Um, there'd be some friends of Trump that would step up. We're watching well, people that are in his camp. 
But wh- how do you explain the Republicans di- running against yeah. them already? How do you how do you explain the different philosophy of both parties? Yeah. Well, first of all, you do see, you know, Trump is going to be uh, seventy eight if he's if he was elected again. He would take office at age seventy eight, which is the same age Biden was when he took office for this term. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's clearly uh, if, if Biden is too old between 78 and 82, Trump is too old. Uh, on the other hand, just use your eyes. Trump is obviously much more energetic, um, much more with it than Joe Biden appears to be much more vigorous. The bad, the, you know, the gamble is, will that remain true until he's in his early 80s? Um, but Republicans really haven't had to make that choice. They're clearly a lot of other reasons for Republicans to think long and hard about whether they want Donald Trump to be their president, presidential nominee. But age plays less of a role in it for Republicans than Biden's age does for Democrats. So I want you to hear what Steve Cortez said that's making a lot of noise because the first time somebody yeah. in the DeSantis camp came out and said, we're trailing, cut one. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But clearly Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner, uh, particularly since the indictments. That was not the case before the indictments. It is the case afterwards. All right. Uh, what, is, what does Byron York think the reason is? Well, um, I, I agree with all that. As a matter of fact, I've, I've been writing about that uh, this morning as we're speaking. If you look at the Republican race, uh, last year, Trump had about a 30-point lead. He was over 50 percent, had about a 30-point lead over DeSantis from summer of 2022. And it did not change until the elections in November. Some of Trump's candidates didn't do all that well, but the most important thing was DeSantis was decisively reelected uh, as governor of Florida. He appeared to be the man in charge. He appeared to be the man who could beat Trump. Uh, Trump immediately fell below 50 percent in the polls, and DeSantis went up about 10 percent. It stayed that way for months, November, December, January, February, March. Uh, it stayed roughly in that range, About and Trump's lead was about 15 percent over Ron DeSantis. And then the next big thing happened, and that was the indictment of Trump in Manhattan, which uh, so many people, not just Republicans, thought was just um, uh, a weak uh, strained and politically motivated indictment. Trump shoots back above 50 percent. DeSantis falls, uh, and the lead is about 30 percent again. In addition, one final thing has happened. A number of smaller candidates entered the race. doesn't seem to have affected Trump's standing at all, uh, but does. In, uh, DeSantis has fallen further. So now Trump has a 30-point lead over DeSantis like he did last year. In that long period, in which DeSantis had seemingly come within reach, although 15 points is still a pretty big gap. That period uh, after DeSantis' re-election has, has ended. Yeah, and, and we'll see what happens. I mean, DeSantis is going to announce a huge number when it's time to declare. I don't. I think it's the end of this, this month or next week or so. I'm not, I'm not really sure. When they announce sure. it, it's going to blow people away, and it's going to blow Donald Trump away. And and we'll see. And I think people overreact to missteps, alleged missteps that DeSantis taken. Like evidently that super PAC ad was ridiculous going after Trump yeah. for being anti <laughs> or being too pro-gay because he's tolerant. I mean, are you yeah. kidding? 
Uh, and, you know, the six-week the six week thing does not resonate with the general public. I don't care if you're Cardinal, uh, Cardinal Dolan. Uh, the, uh, Cardinal Dolan couldn't get elected for people who, even though the, he might be the right thing and you might be pro-life listening to Byron York and Brian Kilme talk right now, it doesn't matter. The, the country's not there if you're in the habit of winning elections. I think that was a self-inflicted situation there. Do you think it's that big yeah. of a deal? Is that playing a role in the, both those things playing a role in it? Well, I don't th- look. I, I think what happens uh, in in addition to those really big events that I talked about, I think DeSantis is obviously kind of is, is somewhat underwhelmed on the campaign trail, and how well you campaign actually does matter. Word of mouth is a big deal in political campaigns. People who've seen DeSantis in Iowa or New Hampshire talk to other their friends, other people who haven't seen him yet. They say they you know he was great. He wasn't so good. It's kind of eh. They, they share their impressions like that. So how you do um, in retail politics actually matters. And DeSantis has been okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it, he, he's not been a star doing it. So um, he just hasn't been able to put together uh, anything that could overcome Trump. And so I think what you have right now, and this is true of not only Ron DeSantis, uh, but Mike Pence, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, everybody else. Um, they're looking at this race and saying something has to happen. You know, if, if Donald Trump keeps winning by 30 percent, well, he, he just becomes the nominee. That's that's it. For that to change, something has to happen. I don't know what that something is. I cannot make that something happen. But when it does happen, I want to be in a position to benefit, to yeah. take advantage and be the candidate the party turns to. But they're really all waiting for something to happen. But, you know, it's so interesting, and I don't uh, – and I always say to myself, try to not get caught up in the moment too much, but it's really a good field. I mean, Trump has never had a better team. DeSantis is ooze competence. I get his message. He's definitive. He's actually better when pressed. He'll probably do very well in a hostile town hall than almost anybody else. Uh, yeah. Then you look at Nikki Haley. Man, she's very comfortable, and she's winning people over when she meets them. Seems to have a good team. And Tim Scott, inspirational, his personal story, and him on the stump without a script. Impressive. I even look at Will Hurd. Nine years in the CIA. He wins a, a purple district in Texas. He knows the border. He's a, of a, from one parent was black, another parent was white. He feels like he can talk to, to both sides. Uh, black and white issues, uh, rich and famous, and and beyond, and even even that's the dis- that's those, those are the long shots. So I think there's so much talent, but no one's getting close. But lastly, before I, before I let you go, I want to talk about this court ruling that says essentially, hey Joe Biden and Democrats, you're forbidden to touch social media with any of your shadow my words shadow banning and suppression. This is an egregious violation of free speech First Amendment. How impactful is this? I think it's huge. Um, we'll see if it if it lasts. And I think it's clearly the product of the kind of abuses uh, that you and I and others have talked about for a long time now of of um, uh, the Biden administration or the U.S. government leaning on social media companies or influencing social media companies or using those companies uh, to suppress. Uh, legitimate viewpoints that they disagree with. I, so that it's, it's, you can you can argue that there's got to be some way uh, for government uh, to deal with the social media companies, just like they deal with 
all sorts of other companies in all sorts of other industries. Uh, but clearly these were abuses, and I think that's what this is coming out of, and I think we're going to see, however it plays out through the courts, we're going to see a, a stricter um, control over what government can do. Two attorneys generals brought it forward, uh, one of which was on Fox and Friends this morning, Louisiana uh, AG Jeffrey Landry, cut 22. I think the judge basically spells it out. He does it in his great 120-page opinion. He takes things step by step. He says, look, the government went out there and censored American speech on COVID-19, on vaccine policies, on mass mandates, on election questions, and the Hunter Biden laptop. The FBI knew that the Hunter Biden laptop was real, Mm -hmm. and yet they told the social media platforms that to, to be on the lookout for Russian interference. And then the Hunter Biden laptop story comes out. They yeah. never go back and tell the social media well, What I think is amazing is that Jeff lays out, what the judge laid out is what we've been chronicling and reporting. It's been in your columns, Byron. Yep. So he lays out yep. that this is terrible, just like we thought. Instead, when you get Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger on Capitol Hill to say the story, they get called so-called journalists and have a personal agenda. And they attack Taibbi personally. And the IRS knocks on his door while he's testifying. So this is every American should be somewhat relieved, even though they won't admit it. Number two is I just wonder how they're going to implement it. How are we going to know if the FBI is looking again and doing this again? I guess it's up to the media companies to go, guys, I now have the law behind me. Hang up the phone. I'm not taking your calls. So I just there's got to be some integrity. I only have 30 seconds, but some integrity to it. Well, that's why reforming the CIA, reforming the intelligence community, reforming the way the FBI works has always been hard because there is always a way for them to cheat or to do things and not tell Congress about it. Because we've seen so many times in which intelligence and law enforcement have withheld from Congress information that they, by law, should have handed over. So that will continue in this case. Byron York, always great. Thanks so much. Your call's next. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The judge wrote this. The Hunter Biden laptop story was censored uh, on these platforms. And basically what they did was Twitter blocked users from sharing links to the New York Post story and prevented users who had previously sent tweets sharing the Hunter Biden story from sending new tweets until they deleted the previous tweet. Fact check. True. I was White House press secretary at the time. I shared the article. I was blocked from Twitter. um, And my account was put back up only after I deleted the tweet. And that was Kaylee McEnany this morning after this ruling came down on July 4th. And I think it's not a coincidence that this judge, who was appointed by Trump but confirmed 98-0, that was for free speech, condemning the Biden administration, Democrats, for suppressing speech. We call it shadow banning now. I didn't know what that meant until Donald Trump Jr. started talking about it. And Charlie Kirk and others said, you know, I'm not getting the coverage. I'm not getting the retweets. I'm not getting the traction. Elon Musk went in and exposed it. I never thought it would come from the courts, though. So now just know, when you get these diabolical people who work on the sly, who try to get their uh, final any way for Democrats to win, bending and breaking rules, and gave you things like the Russia, uh, the Russia hoax that we saw play out over the course of two and a half years that was put forward, 
for Hillary Clinton and everybody else, now they're breaking the law. Now it's I'm not looking out for your welfare. You're breaking the law. You saw the court ruling. And when it goes to the 5th District, it's a conservative court. And they all appeal it again. But in the end, the Supreme Court will be there. And do you think the Supreme Court is for suppressing speech within reason? Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you're one of the 38% proud, extremely proud to be an American. I know I am one. I know the callers are. I know the listeners are. And uh, we got to spread the word to make sure everyone is. Uh, as you know, we come from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, thanks so much for staying with us throughout the holidays and, and beyond. And I hope everybody had a chance to enjoy the 4th of July special, a chance for some of your schedules are a little different. You have a chance to put on the radio, do something different, and hopefully you like the show and stay up with it. If it doesn't fit with your schedule, keep in mind we've got the podcast, BrianKillMeatShow.com. Uh, this hour we're going to be joined by Scott Mann, one of America's heroes, done more to, to try to get uh, American allies uh, as well as Americans out of Afghanistan than anyone else, along with fighting in Iraq in Afghanistan, and uh, Israel Del Toro will be with us, another inspiring veteran, one of the extreme burn victims who has become uh, one of the first uh, to ever be 100% disabled and go back into the military, and he's still inspiring people now. He's got a, a great book out. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Government officials have been caught repeatedly pushing social media platforms to censor disfavored users and content. They are creating blacklists of disfavored people and then pressuring, cajoling, and demanding that social media platforms ban the people on those lists. A bit of a flashback for a reason. Michael Schellenberg in front of Congress, what he found out with the Twitter files, like to Elon Musk. Well, guess what? Don't even try it, Joe Biden. Yep, stunning and a welcome ruling from the high court. The Biden administration is prevented now, or anyone, from manipulating, from intimidating, from social media conspiring to suppress Republican speech. And look, if Republicans try to do it, they're not allowed to do it either for the first time. A court rules in favor of logic. 155 pages of reasoning. It is overwhelming. It is a game changer. Number two. It's frankly inconsistent with FBI and DOJ practices, uh, U.S. attorney manuals. And I think, you know, we're left, you know, at this point, it's no longer a question of not uh, of whether or not there's corruption. It's who's involved in the corruption. And that is uh, John Radcliffe as it relates to Hunter. Hunter, you wouldn't. Not even this. Cocaine found at the White House. More evidence emerges as a complete corruption around Hunter. As a assistant to David Weiss, turns out to be a business partner of Louis Free, former FBI director, and you guessed it, who's a partner of, drumroll please, Hunter Biden, and I think the Biden family, in the Romania issue. Some billionaire had himself in legal trouble. Louis Free and Hunter Biden, what a team that is, uh, teamed up to help him. And guess who's helping back, it seems. Number one. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But clearly, Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner. Uh, that is true. Uh, Stephen Cortez, who is a longtime ally of Trump, who switched to DeSantis while not being a Trump hater, says, 
DeSantis, team admits what we all know. He's trailing, okay? How does he plan on closing the gap, right? Raising money, that is key. Raising his profile, that is key. Is Trump even catchable if he's not debatable? I don't think he's showing up in August, even though I wish he would. He has his team, best team ever. He's his third team now. Joe Biden is making his presidency look better every day, and that's one of the keys. How bad Biden has done in terms of leadership, in terms of regulation. You know, it's interesting. They did a study and they said, how much of these new regulations, overwhelming regulations in every asset aspect of our lives cost in the average American family? $10,000. So ask yourself, would you like $10,000 more? Evidently, and if you talk to Trump experts and people that look in these years, people point to the tax cuts to say, well, the economy was doing good up until the pandemic. And they should really look at the cut in regulations. He's even said to me and to you in the past that my regulations were underappreciated. He didn't even appreciate how important it was. But not just doing things irresponsibly, cut, 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 cut. He was doing it for a reason. He was doing it in order to allow small businesses to begin to thrive. And that all blew up when these governors got control and people like Cuomo and others, and Gavin Newsom shut down Port Sand on skate parks, started fining people and repressing all that entrepreneurial spirit. But back to 2024, what's changed? Well, the indictments changed, no doubt about it. Steve Cortez said, believe it or not, what's supposed to have killed Trump made him stronger. Cut one. Look, right now in national yeah. polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But Clearly, Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner, uh, particularly since the indictments. That was not the case before the indictments. It is the case afterwards. Right. Uh, and there's probably two more coming. If you see the aggression in which uh, this clown is going after him, Jack Smith, uh, in now trying to get Arizona going, got Georgia going, Donald Trump making the phone calls while that's illegal, let's prosecute him, let's indict him again. Do you just know what's coming? Have Have we missed an indictment call yet? No, sadly not. Uh, so that's what everyone's hoping for. It's a good field. And they say if he if he actually gets stopped from running, if he has to go to jail or something, then we'll win. Or if he has to stay in court for three weeks, then we'll win. That's what they think right now. One tactic I don't think works against DeSantis saying he didn't do a great job in the pandemic. It's just dumb. Going after him because he goes after Disney, you can do that. But I think most people side with him. I thought so Disney went out there and started coming against legislation that was there to protect kids. He went right back at Disney. When Disney went back at him and they fired their CEO, maybe an opportunity, an overture to get back in, but they didn't. They doubled and tripled down, sued for their autonomy status back. I think it's a dry hole. But don't go after Trump on the border and don't go after Trump on, on not firing Anthony Fauci. Come on. You know the whole country was against him sidelining Fauci. And they always said that, you know, to Donald Trump was too much of a divider. You want to do a divider, divider as much as we now agree, most of us, that Anthony Fauci is a bad guy who lied to protect his own reputations, an egomaniac. Look at his PBS special. Most people weren't at that point. They still like looking at little Phil Rizzuto. So you couldn't have fired him. So I think that's, uh, that's ridiculous. And Will Hurd is doing something that I think Governor Christie should stop doing too. Cut for it. And to me, this is not about supporting the Republican nominee. Uh, my issue is with supporting Donald Trump. And here's why. Uh, Donald Trump is a proven loser. He hasn't won an election since 2016. He lost the House in 2018. 
He lost the White House in uh, 2020 and the Senate in 2020, and he prevented us from having a red wave in 2022. Uh, he also is someone who has not agreed uh, to sign this pledge. Heck, he hasn't even, right. even acknowledged the fact uh, that he lost the last election. It wasn't stolen from him. It was lost. So here, here's the thing. I, I'm probably Congressman Will Hurd's uh, biggest supporter, and he does he uh, does this great by our show. The guy's get he's an AI expert, he's a terror expert, uh, he is a border expert, he has a sense of race relations in America. I got it, but don't call Donald Trump a loser because it's interpreted you're calling his supporters losers, and they're not. And if you break down exactly what happened. Now that we know that the Russia thing was based on absolutely nothing, Adam Schiff's mind and Hillary Clinton's campaign financing, can you imagine what the midterms would have been like had they not had the spectrum of the fact that he was colluding with Russia to win an election illegally? And with Hillary Clinton saying over and over again, everybody knows he's illegitimate. Think about that. And then he still added seats to the Senate but loses the House, which basically happens in every midterm election, like the past one. Got it. Then when he comes back en route to winning that second election, the pandemic hits. I really don't know if Woody could have handled better. You tell me. Because a lot of the stuff that he was criticized for, turns out he was kind of right. And maybe he could have been a little bit more judicious, but I don't know. What do you look up? Uh, how do they handle 1918? And then calling him a loser, it's, I don't think that's really effective, calling him a loser. He pulled off the biggest upset in political history. So, and then we find out behind the scenes, they're going out of his way to suppress his supporters, suppress all his social media. I don't think he lost the election for the reasons he thinks he lost. I think they lost the election because all the information wasn't out there. And if there wasn't these extreme measures had to be taken for legitimate reasons for the pandemic, because we were legitimately scared about getting out of their house because they were scared by this, by an administration over the last two years who told you you will die. And half the stuff they told you, if you get the vaccinated, you're not going to get it. You died anyway, or you got it anyway. So people were freaked out in the midterms. And some of it were sincere efforts to make it easier to vote. Others were ways to manipulate the vote. But I don't think Donald Trump lost for the reasons he said he lost. He lost for the reasons that this judge just talked about in 155 pages, that Democrats and the Biden administration and his allies in particular went out of their way to suppress the free speech that would have absolutely influenced an election. But I'm not guaranteeing anything. When we come back, we'll be joined by Scott Mann. And then, uh, well, right after that, have another special guest, Israel, uh, Israel Del Toro. And he has got a great story that will certainly inspire you and wipe out any excuses you may have for not doing anything in your life. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we're back. Scott Mann is one of our favorite guests, one of the great American heroes, uh, served in the military, fought in all of the war, continues to fight uh, for American values and American patriots and especially veterans. And when that Afghanistan report came out on Friday, they dumped it on a holiday weekend at a time in which they knew we were going to be back and work until at least July 5th for the most part in America. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Mann would not allow this to be buried, nor would I. 
Uh, he coordinated Task Force Pineapple, as you may know. They're still asking him to help out in Africa anytime some of our State Department people need help or those are our allies are in trouble overseas. Uh, he also wrote a great book about it. He's got a play about it, and we're going to talk more about it. Um, and uh, the Af- Afghanistan withdrawal report first and foremost. So this report comes out and is devastating. And if you listen to any Democrat report, they say, well, it was bad for the Trump administration. No, no, this was executed by the Biden administration. Don't tell me what was in the locker room. Tell me what happened on the field. And what happened on the field is the biggest disaster in American military history. Colonel, uh, welcome back. What's your takeaway from this report? Hey, Brian. Happy Independence Day, first of all, man. Um, you know, I, I would say my biggest takeaway is why did it take nearly two years, you know, and like you said, why was it released on a Friday at the end of the news cycle? I mean, it really was just another arrow in the back to a whole host of veterans and volunteers who are just, I don't know, they're just reeling from this moral injury. Just it, just when you think it can't get any more, you know, in your face and insulting and debilitating, uh, this, this report comes out. And it's not that it doesn't highlight some things that need to be corrected. It does. But the way it was done, and it certainly does not go far enough for accountability and for meaningful change. So they say there was a lack of looking at worst-case scenario. Really, worst case scenario, since what the State Department was supposed to take the lead, the military backed out. State Department says we didn't have any leadership here. So really, worst case scenario, don't you guys train for that every day from day one? Right. And there were a lot of senior officers who were warning about this and were advising that this thing is going to, you know, it is going it is a house of cards and it is going to fall apart. And, you know, I don't think anyone in the administration wanted to hear that. In fact, if you look at, you know, one of the things I talk about in, in Operation Pineapple Express is that the, the, the day before, Brian, the whole collapse happened, the National Security Council decided to put out a memo for evacuation priorities. The day before, you know, I mean, that tells you right there what the level of effort and emphasis was on this. And, and, and that alone um, is egregious and, and set us up for failure. So what they say, listen, I didn't love the fact that we started talks with the Taliban without the government there, Karzai there. I think it was not Karzai, uh, um, Gahani, without him there. I didn't love that. I I didn't love the way those talks were taking place. But I know that that he desperately wanted, uh, Trump desperately wanted to be out of Afghanistan. But he was not going to do it. His ego wouldn't have allowed him to leave that way because it's the most humiliating thing that's happened. But they keep on emphasizing the evacuation, which was tremendous. I don't want to de-emphasize how great it was to do what happened to get those people out. But when you see those children and those families running after a cargo jet and then hanging off the plane, you still are going to continue to high five over that? Yeah, just doubling down on the on the scope of the evacuation, and it was the largest airlift in American history. Look, first of all, a large number of those people that were evacuated were were you know just thrust into airplanes without much vetting at all. Second of all, you know the fact that that report actually points the finger at volunteer groups like Moral Compass and Operation uh, or Sacred Promise and Pineapple, and says that we were actually you know in the way when it was these groups who were actually presenting. Responsibly vetted special ops commandos, special forces, female judges in a sea of faces. And if you look at a lot of the folks that made it over here that were vetted and were the right people who endured the most risk, it came from those volunteer groups, not the State Department. So I want you to hear what Joe Biden said on Friday. The audio is not great, but the words the words matter. Listen, remember what I said about Afghanistan? I said Al Qaeda would not be there. 
I said it wouldn't be there. I said we'd get help from the Taliban. What's happening now? What's going on? Read your press. I was right. He's not right. Does he write? No, every time I hear that, it sends chills down my spine because it it signals a level of detachment that is probably a whole different interview, Brian. Um, but but what I will tell you is that if you even if you look at what's going on in France right now, I mean France is burning. Um, Al Nusra, which is the media arm of Al Qaeda, has been fomenting violence and encouraging uh, rioters there to to wage jihad and kill police. Yes. That's better than sending them to uh, to the you know to the land where they can train. And the, where do you think these messages are emanating from? Where where do you think this organizational capacity is coming from? Al Qaeda plus t- 20 other violent extremist groups are reconstituting in Afghanistan. And I got news for you it's not France and Europe that's going to be in Al Qaeda's crosshairs. No kidding. Uh, and we're over that. But for him to be able to pull that off and have the people actually, some people actually believe that is. It's unbelievable. Is, yeah, you know it, 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 yeah, it's wrong. And, yeah. and just, and by the way, you should be lauded. They leaned on you guys at the end, and, the, and they also made it hard for you guys because they would not open up these sites, landing, uh, these landing sites to get your people out. So you had no place to put them should you get them on planes, correct? That's right, Brian. And, and there's a group right now called Moral Compass, which is a federation of 20-plus of these volunteer groups that are still on the phone, still doing the safe houses, still moving people. And the State Department is, 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 is working closely with them and other right. volunteer groups. And to come out in the report and say that is just so disingenuous and, frankly, adds to the moral injury. So tell me about Last Out, Elegy of a Green Beret. How do we see this play? Yeah, so we have a play that we're doing in conjunction with Gary Sinise. I know you interviewed him recently, and if if you want to know why pineapple was necessary, you need to come see this play. It's a play about the Afghanistan war and what happened, what went wrong, and why the moral injury that our troops are dealing with is so profound. And it's all veterans in the cast. If you go to GarySiniseFoundation.org, you can see it. We're on tour. I'm playing the lead role, Brian, uh, to complete my midlife crisis, and uh, it's doing a lot of good in the world. We're helping with a lot of a lot of moral injury and mental health issues and people should come see this play especially civilians and politicians how okay go to GarySiniseFoundation.org. we're on tour um and you can come you know we, we're going to be on tour through october um to, to various cities you can also see it if you can't get to the play if you go to amazon prime we actually made a low budget movie on it and it's there as well last out elegy of a green beret he's the best uh lieutenant colonel scott man what a midlife crisis still helping people through your midlife <laughs> crisis <laughs> thanks, thanks so much i hope i have a crisis like that Go get him. Uh, thanks, Colonel. And we're not going to forget about this report. We should read it, understand it, and don't let anyone get away with it. Israel Del Toro's next, another great American. A Patriot's Promise. His book is now out. More on this. You're not going to believe this story. Don't move. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So uh, Senior Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro, Jr., retired, is now unretired, back in action. He's the author of Patriot's Promise, Protecting My Brothers, Fighting for My Life, and Keeping My Word. Uh, Sergeant uh, uh, Del Toro, welcome back. Welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure and honor. Well, I mean, to put your life story together is unbelievable. It's going to be a great movie if anyone has any brain in their head that is a producer with some financing. <laughs> But uh, maybe first off, 
uh, with the amount of what you've already done and experienced in the military, what really pushed you to break precedent, 100% disabled, to go back in? Well, you know, people kept asking me when I was during my recovery, you know, when I woke up, they said my military career was over. And and they're like, why, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to continue serving. They're like, why? I was like, because I started to do public speaking, and they will say, well, public speakers make good money, and they do. You know, some speakers, you know, can make up to six figures for a 45-minute to an hour speech. And, and I, I would just tell them, it's like, there's thousands of people out there that make great money, and they hate their job. So why am I going to give up a job that I love? I love serving my country. I love being in the Air Force. I love being an operator, you know, tech T. So why am I going to give that up for a couple bucks? And, and that's what I did, you know, when they came back and gave me the option of of staying in like, to re- re-enlist, I, I jumped on, um, on the opportunity. I was like, yes, I want to stay in. So let's tell your story. Uh, you had a horrific upbringing. First year, dad dies suddenly, right? Yes, sir. How, how old were you at the time? I was 12 years old uh, when my dad passed away. What did it do to your family? Uh, well, you know... Uh, well, it, it it crushed us, you know. It really it crushed me, but uh, I think it affected my mom the most. Uh, you know, I like in the book, I talk how she lost her way uh, and how I try to bring her back and to focus on, you know, on us, you know, and trying to continue to honor my that promise I made to my dad the night before he passed. You know, take care of your family and and you know, unfortunately. One time, you know, she really gave it to me and, and, and threatened me, saying, if you continue to do the way you're doing, uh, I'll send you to a boarding school and you'll never see your brothers and sisters again. And, you know, uh, that's when I realized, well, I'll focus on my brothers and sisters and I'll try once in a while to try and bring my mom back. But, you know, it, it just didn't right. work because a year and a half later after my dad passed, you know, she was killed uh, by a drunk driver. Everybody handles grief differently for her. It was to find another guy, dated all her friends, and finally with an 18-year-old, they're riding on a motorcycle. She's not wearing a helmet. He does. He goes into a coma. She goes into a coma, horrifically injured. The last thing she says to you is ask for M&Ms. You couldn't give it to her. That's the last thing you've ever heard her say, and she passes away. You find yourself the oldest in your family. And they didn't even want to tell you your mom was in an accident, right? I mean, they, they, you weren't old enough for them to tell you. They had to call another adult. Cops had to come into your house and call another adult to tell them to tell you. Yeah, that, that, that was tough, you know, when they, they came knocking on the door. I, think I, was, I want to say it was like about 3 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning. And an officer asking, is hey, your mom, is this uh, Maria Del Toro's home? I was like, yes, sir. I was like, is she home? I was like, I think so. Can you check? You know, I go check and like, no. I was like, well, do you have someone you can call? And, uh, you know, I'm asking what's going on. You know, cause I'm, you know, I had just, you know, I was about to graduate eighth grade. Uh, and, you know, so I was 14. And they're like, well, we need to talk to an adult. And they made me call. Um, I think it was my aunt I called. Right. And, and they told her and. They wouldn't tell us anything until my, my aunt and my grandparents came to the house. And that's what they told us. And when when she gets buried, you, you stay at the grave, and you're furious at her because now uh, 
you were mad, and I don't blame you. You know, like you know, I try to get you to to rein your mom in. You know, you tried to rein in. Now I'm stuck. I'm going to we have to raise a family. But in comes your her father to raise you guys, right? And he's yeah. extremely strict. Yeah, but you know, like my, my grandpa was very old fashioned. You know, he's two generations behind. He was that generation that believed. You know, the boys were outside doing the work, and the girls did not do sports. They stayed home and cooking clean. And it was tough for especially my sister that followed me because she was into sports. She was a volleyball player and and trying to be the mediator right. between that. It, it was tough, you know. So, so you also had a, so meanwhile, you have this tension at home. You're trying to be the leader. We also try to get your life together. You're determined you're going to go to college, University of Illinois. Your teacher tell your counselor says, you're not going to go there. Go to a community school. Not only do you go there, you get a, you get a full scholarship. And you're going, and you go in there, and you put that that acceptance and that scholarship in front of them, and you said, and you use an expletive, and you got suspended, but it was worth it, right? Yeah, I got a month's worth of tension. Yeah, most people don't realize that. You know, I went to a a, a Catholic school, so my counselor was a, a priest. So, yeah, oh, I didn't know it, that. It was so worth it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was so worth it. Was so worth a month, month long too, just to prove wrong. Because I never accepted what people say my life was going to be. I choose what my life's going to be, you know, and, and, and nothing's wrong with a junior college, but I always wanted to go so to University of yeah. Illinois and, and, and to prove them wrong. It was, it was worth that month long detention. But you're not able to go. Uh, in the end, you had to kind of take care of your family. Your the, your father, your grandfather has a stroke uh, and you pretty much got to take care of the family and you give up that college education and start working and supporting the family. And you must be like, what is going on with my life? Am I star crossed or what? Am I cursed? Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, you know, I, I thought I was cursed because anytime I was on a high, uh, Brian, I just, I just got knocked back, back down. And I did. I was like, why is this happening? Why, why are you challenging me? You know, you know, asking, asking God, why are you challenging me? I'm, I'm, I'm only at the, the time, you know, I was what 20 years old, and I was like, and I'm going through all this, and like, what's going on? And you know, maybe he had a plan. He was getting me ready for the day I got hurt, and and prepare me. Uh, so you're watching the Air for, Force. You're watching an Air Force commercial. You have a one rare moment where you sit and watch television. You see it, and you go, I'm joining. You know, my my the youngest is 15. They can handle it. I'm going to join. And you join the Air Force. You talk about how tough it was, but you loved it, correct? I did. I, I really loved being an operator. You know, I grew up, we grew up in the generation of Rambo. You know, who didn't want to be, you know, Rambo, you, you know, have the long hair, chiseled body, you know. Of course, now I don't have that long hair. And my son likes to say I have more of a dad bod than the chiseled body. But, you know, that's I wanted to be that guy. And that's why I joined, you know, my career field because you were that guy. You were making, calling in those airstrikes, you know, for for special operations, you know, right. for scout teams, you know. That I, I, that was who I wanted to be. But what know? happened? But what happened in two thousand five? Uh, so two thousand five, you know, uh, December fourth, I was out on a mission with the scouts, and we had a high value target. We had to capture, kill, and. Uh, uh, supply route that the Taliban was using that we had to des- destroy. And, you know, I've been out there a couple of days and we're coming back to pick up the other half of our scout team. And no more than uh, 20 meters after crossing the creek do I feel this intense heat blast on my left side. And, and that's when I realized, holy crap, I just got hit by an IED. And 
it's funny people talk about how your life flashes in front of you, and I never really believed that. But when I got hit, it was like a like a movie reel, you know, the old time movie reels where you see images a little by little. But for me, three distinct images were things that hadn't happened that were supposed to happen, like me and my wife finally get married by the Catholic Church after our third attempt. Because every time we tried, I had down range. Uh, second one was us honeymooning in Greece because that's where she always wanted to go, which I still haven't done, so please don't remind her on that. <laughs> and, and lastly was, most importantly, was me teaching my son how to play baseball because I was a ball player. Right. You know, that was and that was something I wanted to do. And, and that's something clicked in my head. So I was like, got to get out of this truck. Uh, but when I got out of the truck... You were on fire. fire. You the whole body. The whole body. And you couldn't get to the creek, right? I couldn't. I I ran, but the flames overtook me, and I collapsed, and I'm laying there and thinking, this is it. I broke my promise to my family that I always come back. I broke my promise to my son that I'll never let him grow up without his dad like I did. But most importantly, I'm breaking my promise to my dad that I always take care of my family. And that's when one of my teammates tells me, up, like, DT, you're not dying here. And we both jumped in a creek, and the sound that I heard was the same sound you hear when you put a hot pan in cold water. But instead of a pan, it was my body. Wow. The pain must have been overwhelming. What do you remember next? Well, you know, it's funny. I didn't, didn't, the only thing I really hurt was, like, my leg. Uh, but, you know, as soon as I got hit, the, the second half of my team that we were going to pick up, they get hit in a crossfire. And now they're calling back, asking for help. It's like, where's Gunslinger, which was my call sign at the time? We need cast, close air support. So I had to figure out what to do. You know, again, honoring that promise to my dad. You know, these are my these are my brothers. My brothers. You know, I got to take care of them. So my radios that I had were destroyed. My backup radios were all in the truck that got destroyed. So luckily, one of my other teammates had a radio called an embitter. And I just told him, hey, get on this frequency and repeat everything I say so we can get help in here. So, so just to reframe this, by the way, I'm talking to Senior Master Sergeant Israel Del Toro. You've been burned from head to toe. You've jumped in a yeah. creek to put out the fire on your body, and you're still giving out commands. This is crazy. Yeah, you know, uh, at the time, you know, I, I was just, I was just trying to take care of my my, my guys. That's all, you know. Honored that promise. Uh, I didn't think nothing of it. Uh, you know, I remember the medic trying to take care of me. And I was like, no, I'm okay, okay, yeah, my leg hurts, but take care of Bailey, who was our gunner, who got thrown, out, blown out of the truck, and the truck had rolled over his legs. I was like, focus on him so we can get help for our guys. Wow. And, and, and you know, I, I, I tried to do that. And, and I'm not, I'll never be one to say that, you know, I had no fear. You know, when, once that last transmission went out, I, I guess the adrenaline started going down. And I started having a hard time breathing, and I started getting scared. I was saying, hey, where's this medevac? Where's it at? And, and luckily, my, my, the medic, you know, found my spark. I like to say we all have a spark that drives us. It's kind of funny saying the burn guy now saying that we have, all have a spark, but we do. And he knew my son was my spark, and he used that to keep me up until the, the helicopter medevac landed. And I remember they wanted to carry me. And I was like, oh, hell no. It's like I walked into this fight. You, I'm going to oh walk goodness. out. So you walk into and, the fight, and, and they put you, and because I don't want to cut you off, but we've got a couple of minutes left. When yeah. They put you in a, a coma. And then you find out President Bush came to your side at Walter Reed? 
Yeah, yeah, you know, he, they put me in a coma. I was at BAMS, he put me in medical center. I never, I never got to okay. go to Wall Street. But, but yeah, you know, uh, well, I didn't know. I was in a coma until I saw one of the guys getting a purple heart. And I was like, hey, did I ever get my purple heart? And they're like, you did. I'm like, well, when did that happen? I was like, well, it happened around, you know, January time frame. And I was like, well, who gave it to me? It's like President Bush. I'm like, man, I wish I could have remembered that. <laughs> um, but it was it was cool, you know. My wife told me he he stood in my room for 20 minutes, talking to me, even though I don't remember any of it. That, that's amazing. So when you come out of your coma, your next big worry—they say you're going to be there for years. You're only there for what? How long? So when I get out of coma, they tell me, you know, you're never going to breathe again, or you'll you'll need a respirator for the rest of your life. I may not walk again, and I'll still be there for another year and a half, and my military career was over. Well, two months after they told me that, I left that hospital walking and breathing on my own. And then you worried. You worried about when your son sees you and you're burned and you look different now. What are you worried about? You know, it, it was, I call it my darkest hour. Because uh, I never wished to die until that day when I saw my face. Because when you're burned, they cover up the mirrors. And the day I saw myself, uh, my wife was helping me and my physical therapist was helping me. And I slipped and went and put off the the tower off the mirror, and then I broke down. And and it wasn't a vanity thing that I didn't look like myself anymore. It was more that if at the time I was 30 years old, if a 30-year-old man thinks that he's a monster, what's a three-year-old son going to think? You know, he was my spark. He was my everything. And and it took like 45 minutes until, you know, the, uh, Gary, my therapist, says, DT, all your son wants is his dad back. That's all he cares about. And it calmed me down, but it was still in the back of my mind until the day I will see him. And what happened? Uh, when I finally saw him, you know, I walk in, and my wife says, Weddle, which is, you know, his nickname, they're like, hey, Bobby's here, and he comes running out. And I, he ran like a little penguin, and he, he comes out and sees me and stops. And all of a sudden, all this fear comes rushing back. It's like, oh, my God, he's terrified of me. And all he does is tilt his head to the side, looks at me, says, Bobby? I'm like, yeah, buddy. And comes up and gives me the most amazing hug I've ever had in my life. The most amazing moment besides seeing him being born. And I remember my wife's like, don't hurt your dad. I'm like, quiet, woman, let me hold my boy, because I hadn't seen him since August of 2005. Amazing. And Gary was right. All he wanted was his dad. He didn't care what his dad looked like. He just wanted his dad. So how that's amazing. That's the culmination. And where are you at today? Uh, well, you know, now I'm, I'm here. You know, I retired in 2019. You know, uh, living out here in Colorado Springs and and, and and enjoying my ranch. You know, I'm on 35 acres. Yesterday, people asked me, DT, how are you celebrating the release of your book? I was like. Well, and it kept, my phone just kept blowing up, and, and I was like, and I finally made a video. I was like, this is what I'm doing, how to celebrate. I'm out here on my tractor cutting the grass. Awesome. <laughs> and, and that's just enjoying life right now, you know, hanging with my family, watching my son grow up, and, and go out and do speaking engagements because right. uh, I feel, you know, sometimes people need to find their spark, and Absolutely. they need it by hearing a story. And they can get it in your book, A Patriot's Promise. He's a recipient of Purple Heart, Bronze Star, the Pat Tillman Award for Service, and he's still serving 
You have no excuses after you read the story of Israel Del Toro, Jr. Uh, it's an honor to talk to you, Israel. Thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on the book. Uh, thank you, Brian. Thank you. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. You know, uh, hearing Israel's story, it's so motivational individually, but also when he brought up Rambo. And he said, you know, it was the age of Rambo. Everybody wanted to be in the military. You know, we watched those commercials, and I'm thinking to myself, we got a huge problem with recruiting. Uh, a lot has to do with the image that they're putting out there. They're not getting into high school, selling this true story of what it's, what it's like to serve. Instead, they're talking about political correctness and all this other crap. And also the way we left Afghanistan. That came up on One Nation over the weekend with Gary Sinise. Listen. There could be multiple reasons um, for that. I know the, what happened in Afghanistan was very, uh, I, I don't think that was helpful at all, the way we pulled out Disaster. of Afghanistan. You know, very, very, very difficult on many, many veterans who had served there multiple times over the last 20 years. And then to, to leave that the way we did, I think that was that was harmful. And people started to question. Yeah. Really? I fought for 20 years, I'm missing a leg, or I'm not the same emotionally, mentally, I lost my marriage, and that's the way you end the war? Without giving up permission? You know, you brought them in there without their permission, and then you ended it in a way in which is not worthy of the time they served, and have made no effort to change things. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. This hour is going to be great. Congressman Michael Waltz is going to be here in a matter of moments. House Armed Services Committee, Green Beret, uh, Deep History, uh, as well as running for re-election, of course. Congressman Jeff Landry, excuse me. Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry is going to be joining us. What a victory he has pulled off along with the Missouri AG, uh, and we'll tell you that in a second. Meanwhile, just let me encourage you, get the podcast, BrianKillMeShow.com, if you ever can't see the show live or hear the show live, because you'd always see it on Fox Nation most days. So before we go any further, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Government officials have been caught repeatedly pushing social media platforms to censor disfavored users and content. They are creating blacklists of disfavored people and then pressuring, cajoling, and demanding that social media platforms ban the people on those lists. Unbelievable, impactful beyond measure. Don't even try it. That's stunning and welcome ruling. The Biden administration is prevented from manipulating, intimidating, and by the way, the whole Democratic Party, uh, social media companies like they have in the past. For example, uh, what the Dems and Biden have long been saying uh, uh, Trump's been doing, really been going at Trump since 2016. Number two. It's frankly inconsistent with FBI and DOJ practices, uh, U.S. attorney manuals. And I think, you know, we're left, you know, at this point, it's no longer a question of not uh, of whether or not there's corruption. It's who's involved in the corruption. That's John Radcliffe. He used to be the DNI. Meanwhile, Hunter, you wouldn't. You didn't. Cocaine found at the White House. No more evidence emerged now. More evidence emerges of corruption beyond 
what anyone thought was behind the sweetheart deal. We'll talk about it for Hunter Biden. Number one. Look, right now in national polling, uh, we are way behind. I'll be the first to admit that, okay? I believe in being really blunt and really honest. It's a, it's an uphill battle. I don't think it's an unwinnable battle sure. by any stretch, okay? But clearly, Donald Trump is the is the runaway front runner. Steve Cortez, a mainstay with the Trump team, now with the DeSantis team, talking about the polls. 2024, DeSantis admits what we all know. He's trailing, and he's trailing by a lot. How does he plan to close the gap? raise money, and raise his profile as Trump. Is Trump even catchable if he's not debatable? He has the best team yet, and Joe Biden is making his presidency look better every day. Joining us now, a man who had to make a tough decision, a real tough decision. Was he going to be with Mike? Uh, was he going to be with Governor Ron DeSantis, a good friend of his, who he served with in the House? Or was he going to pick Donald Trump? And Congressman Michael Waltz endorsed Donald Trump, and he joins us now. Congressman, what do you think the reason is that Governor Ron DeSantis hasn't closed the gap. Yeah, hey, thanks, Brian. Good good to be on with you. Look, I think that you have um, an absolute known in President Trump, uh, and uh, he is a well-defined figure. His uh, his flaws uh, that that many people have huge issue with are already baked in. Uh, And, you know, the left, if they just wanted if they wanted him to go away, if that's truly what they wanted, they would just ignore him. Uh, but they can't help themselves. And every time they weaponize a different aspect of our judicial system uh, and every time that they show uh, the two-tier justice and every time that, you know, particularly with journalists, show in their mind the ends justify the means to take him out, uh, they only reinforce uh, support from him because President Trump rightly has said, look, if they can do this to me, if they can do, do this to a former president of the United States, they can do this to you. And I think that, uh, Brian, that absolutely resonates with people. That said, I think this is uh, there is a lot of room in this campaign to go. I think uh, Governor DeSantis is going to post a big number uh, from a fundraising standpoint this month. It's the end of the second fundraising quarter. And if he manages it appropriately uh, and gets through the first couple of states, he is going to try to consolidate those in the party who want to move on from President Trump around Super Tuesday, if he doesn't uh, blow his cash. But I got to tell you that uh, I don't know if everybody saw it, but that kind of anti-gay or LGBT ad that uh, that the pro DeSantis super PAC put out is just bizarre. Uh, it is uh, it's hitting President Trump for defending the gay community after the Pulse nightclub uh, massacre which uh, President Trump rightly should have st- uh, stood strong with any part of our society from that. It, it, it's, it's just bizarre. It's a waste of his money. And I think if they continue to do that, he could, he could really uh, lose steam. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, and then when, I think what's helping Trump is it's such a contrast to what Joe Biden's doing. I mean, the, right. the lack of leadership, the fact that he's never available, uh, the, po- the foreign policy, going halfway in Ukraine – you, you see what's happening with the economy. He's run, trying to run on it, but the polls say mass, that the masses are not pleased with it. And here's what Britt Hume speculated, cut seven. I think they're all alarmed at uh, the president's condition. He's obviously senile. Uh, he's faltering. Uh, it's not going to get better between now and Election Day and beyond. So I think everybody's worried about it. It's just that not everybody will say it. Uh, the idea that he needs a tune-up by going into primary debates and looking bad, I don't, I'm not sure that's the best political advice I've ever heard. 
Um, but that's, I, I guess, one way of looking at it. Uh, but in the meantime, obviously, they have a problem. And I, I, Mike, I don't think there's any doubt that if, if the Democrats were not convinced that uh, Donald Trump was going to be the Republican candidate, that they would dare nominate this president. What do you think about that school of thought? They, they believe that Biden in his current state is the only one who can beat Trump? I don't, I don't but I hear this all the time. Do you think so? Yeah, look, it, it, but it, I think it goes to uh, why you're not seeing anyone truly emerge to take him on, aside from RFK Jr. Uh, and it is notable that, that you know, he's polling and Marianne Williamson are polling collectively at 30 percent of uh, Democrats that would vote for somebody else besides Biden. But um, it, it just goes to their nature as a collective uh, that you dare don't uh, – shake up the orthodoxy, the chosen one, um, it, it, that you'll be that you'll be canceled, that you'll be shunned, uh, that you'll be shut out by the party. Whereas in the on the Republican side, we we value competition. Yeah. Competition sharpens the knife. Uh, but I, I just want to say very quickly, Brian, on this kind of energy piece uh, and age, uh, President Trump is only a few years behind Biden. Uh, I, I'm with him uh, fairly often. And uh, he is more energetic than ever. I don't know how he does it. Uh, there was a golf foursome. I was in the foursome behind him. And uh, we had to skip three holes to keep up with him. Uh, I, I, he is gaining energy as he goes along. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's truly incredible. And then the other thing I just want to point out, uh, on the Republican field, this notion of you get the Trump policies without the man, that if you only vote for me, that you'll get all of what he did, but you'll get a different personality, I just think it remains a flawed approach. You know, that's like saying that you get SpaceX without Elon or that you get uh, Apple without Steve Jobs. You don't get everything he got done, despite everything thrown at him, without the truly disruptive personality and approach that he is. And I, I just think that's going to comp- voters are going to continue to see through that. I want to bring you to another area of expertise, and that's war. Uh, we got one raging now, Ukraine and Russia. William Burns showed up in uh, Kiev. We all know the drama from two weeks ago and what's going to be left. Vladimir Putin left Moscow with the, with the Wagner Group zeroing in on the capital. What does that tell you about the Mr. Tough Guy? And, and number yeah, two well, is what has happened since, the best you can share with us. I know you're on armed sure. services. Yeah, right. And I'm also on, on Intel, so I can only share so much. But, uh, but I will share this. Uh, what it exposed is that 85 to 90 percent of the Russian army, all those chips are on the table in Ukraine or completely devoted to Ukraine. And the few that they have left are out in the Pacific uh, or up in the Arctic. I mean, there's really literally uh, nothing left for internal security, and that's how Wagner, with, with, with about a battalion's worth of troops, was able to march all the way to the outskirts of Moscow. Uh, I think Putin knew that he couldn't stop it. Uh, at the same time, Prigozhin knew that he didn't have enough to hold a city like Moscow indefinitely. Uh, there was really no end game for him there, and so they cut a deal. Uh, and then thirdly, Putin needs Wagner's capability in places like the Middle East and like Africa. And so I think you're going to see some type of reemergence, um, you know, after both of them have saved face and a little bit of time have passed. But I can't get uh, in, in any more detail than that. So get this. In case you want to uh, downplay how bad this has been, 
it's not just on those fighting. The Russians have taken 700,000 children from Ukrainian territory, which Russia is occupying, and just sent them into Russia. Can you imagine the cruelty of kidnapping children? You don't know where they are because they want to wipe out the history and they want to wipe out the future. Is that how evil is that? Yeah, it's a war crime. Uh, It violates the Geneva Convention. But it also speaks to, Brian, the state of Russian society. They are an old population. They're an incredibly unhealthy population. By 2050, they're going to have a smaller population in Russia than Bangladesh. Uh, so this is literally 19th, 20th century style, you know, World War II style repopulation. Uh, and um, a- a- again, it's, it's a war crime. It's disgusting. My heart breaks for, uh, for these families. Financial Times is saying that the U.S., U.K., and France, NATO's three nuclear powers, told the Kremlin if they strike and use any type of uh, tactical nuclear arms that we will attack them. And the Financial Times has this story. They kind of buried it. How real is this? Well, I, I saw that as well, and that's something from an oversight standpoint. We are, act- we are absolutely going to be asking the administration what signals were sent in terms of nuclear retaliation. Uh, I am less concerned about the use of a tactical nuke than I am about some type of dirty bomb. For example, in Zaporizhia, uh, Europe's largest nuclear plant is literally on the verge of having a meltdown because the the water came from the dam that was uh, that was destroyed. Uh, and so they're on emergency power right now in terms of keeping that reactor cool. Uh, that you know something like that that is not directly attributable to Putin. If there's some type of I'm putting air quotes here accident uh, that that uh, causes that type of devastation is is what I'm much more concerned about, and or some type of biological or chemical use. But again, so, this is yeah. if Putin's absolutely backed against the quarter. And what we need from the administration is what does success look like in line with our interests and in line with st- stability with the world's largest nuclear power. So we understand the Kremlin, just to show the talk about the head fake, they're warning there's a high threat of Ukraine sabotaging their own nuclear plant. I mean, that right. doesn't pass the laugh test that with anybody who's not, who's not under some type of thought control. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But again, what we don't have a picture of or a good picture of is, you know, is Putin messaging internally and what does his population believe internally? Because at the end of the day, what he cares about is supporting Moscow support in his security services and in St. Petersburg. Uh, and that's, you know, what they believe and what he's messaging to mm-hmm. is incredibly hard to determine. So without air cover, it's tough sledding with this counterinsurgency, but they, they seem to be making progress. Here's what the CIA director said a couple of days ago. Cut 27. Disaffection with the war will continue to gnaw away at the Russian leadership beneath the steady diet of state propaganda and practiced repression. That disaffection creates a a once-in-a-generation opportunity for us at CIA, at our core, a human intelligence service. We're not letting it go to waste. We recently used social media, our first video post to Telegram, in fact, to let brave Russians know how to contact us safely on the dark web. We had 2.5 million views in the first week, and we're very much open for business. So what, what's the strategy behind the CIA director saying what we're up to? Well, yeah, I, I, I'll ask him uh, because one <laughs> of the things when I get back to Washington, D.C. is full briefings on exactly what has happened. And what I'm particularly interested in, you know, Prokosian, the, the leader of Wagner Group, 
was really viewed as a as kind of a Robin Hood figure, as the only one that was standing up and speaking out for the average Russian soldier and family that was being fed into this meat grinder without the ammo, the equipment, the training that they needed, uh, and speaking out against the corrupt Russian generals. And there are ma- there's massive levels of corruption in the Russian military. But how far was he able to spread that message? Was it really just kind of right there on the front lines in Ukraine? Or has that spread throughout the Russian security services and throughout the country? Uh, and that's one of the things that, that Burns may be talking to. And he may be, uh, to answer your question, why say that out loud, is starting to sow doubt within Putin's inner circle and to start creating wedges uh, there. But again, a weakened Russia that can attack its neighbors and attack our interests, I believe, is in U.S. interests, but an unstable Russia is not, uh, because you could get something far worse than Putin. So for those, including you know uh, my, my good friend, Senator Lindsey Graham, that, are, that have called for a replacement to Putin, I really caution that. You're not going to get some kind of democratic, centrist, you know, enlightened mm-hmm. figure. I think you could get someone far worse. Yeah, we were hoping for a Gorbachev in the wings to try to bring back some type of uh, even a degree of capitalism, a little bit of freedom, but maybe that just left with the 90s. Just a quick note, the British Defense Chief Admiral Tony Radkin said the Russians have lost nearly half their combat effectiveness of its army and over have over 200,000 casualties, not deaths, but casualties. Just yeah. your final thought, 30 seconds, Michael Waltz, on that. Well, that's more in a year. Uh, that is almost double in a year than they lost in 10 years in Afghanistan. Uh, with the Russian uh, debacle there. They have taken massive casualties. And, again, what Prigozhin's March for Justice showed is the cupboard is bare in terms of any type of reserves in the Russian military, any type of uh, backup or internal security forces. And I think it showed Putin to be the emperor with no cl- – you know, it showed that he had no clothes. Um, but he cut a deal, and we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. Michael Waltz, always educational to be with you. He's got his hands in just about every pot and always effective. Congressman, thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Brian. You got it. Listen, your call's next, one 408 Then we go into that landmark ruling from that court that says it's not okay to manipulate social media from Twitter to Facebook. It's a new ball game. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, busy hour coming your way. I also going to go inside that Jeff Landry, he and the Missouri AG, put together a petition to stop the Democratic Party and Joe Biden administration from manipulating social media like they did last election, like it's been revealed by the Twitter files, uh, at which time... Uh, at which time a judge took this up and released a 155-page report on July 4th saying, you're absolutely right, they are now prevented from doing anything to manipulate social media to their political advantage, like we witnessed with the Twitter files, with Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger bringing forward, Elon Musk became available, which everyone knows happened. And when Democrats had the opportunity to question them, all they did is question their integrity. They called them so-called journalists. The IRS was sent to Matt Taibbi's house, and all they were doing was actually reporting a story. That was it. And now this judge agrees. Now, people will tell you, well, it's a Trump-appointed judge. He was confirmed with 98 votes in the Senate. That almost never happens. 
And I cannot wait for this to be challenged because the facts are undeniable. And you put in the political realm, they get confusing, but not in the legal realm. Listen to Brian Kilmeade show. When we come back, uh, A.G. Larson joins us to talk about what went into this decision and where it goes from here. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Government officials have been caught repeatedly pushing social media platforms to censor disfavored users and content. Often these acts of censorship threaten the legal protection social media companies need to exist. They aren't asking for a national debate over the limits of the First Amendment. Rather, they are creating blacklists of disfavored people and then pressuring, cajoling, and demanding that social media platforms censor, deamplify, and even ban the people on those lists. And how wrong is that? But what can you do about it? They testified in front of Congress. Democrats took aim. But so did two attorneys generals, one of which joins us now, Jeff Landry. Uh, of Louisiana. Um, congratulations, Mr. Attorney General. For the audience out there who don't, uh, didn't go to law school and don't know about suing the federal government or the, these big tech companies, can you tell me what you guys just accomplished? Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, sure. I mean, what a great Independence Day present. Uh, this was a suit that we took on uh, last year that basically alleged that the government uh, colluded, coerced, co-opt, uh, big tech into censoring Americans' speech during the COVID-19 pandemic, the hiding of the Hunter Biden laptop, um, Dr. Fo- Dr. Fauci's uh, burying of uh, the origins of the COVID-19 virus, all things that, of course, many of us, and probably you, Brian, were subjected to during that particular point in time when you raised questions about any of those issues, uh, you were told that, you know, you were a conspiracy theorist or basically you were shadow banned or, or put in Facebook jail. Uh, and, and what we learned through this suit is that it, it was all the government that was basically trying to create a one-size-fits-all story and muzzle right. Americans in their freedom of speech. And that's what this case is about. I think it's one of the biggest, most important First Amendment cases in the history of the country, certainly at the turn of the century. Uh, Jeff Landry, my guest, U.S. District Court. Here's how it reads. U.S. District Court Judge Terry Dowdy also issued a sweeping, uh, a, a sweeping preliminary injunction barring numerous federal officials from the Attorney General Vivek Murthy to Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Beshera, he's an embarrassment, the White House Press Secretary, and all employees of the Justice Department, FBI, from having any contact with social media firms for the purpose of discouraging or removing First Amendment protection speech. Uh, the lawsuit brought by you guys, including the Missouri AG, but its impact could be sweeping, forcing government officials, including law enforcement agencies, to refrain from notifying the platform from troublesome content. Now, Without Elon Musk buying Twitter and revealing what he did, would this have been possible? Well, actually, uh, this suit um, was part and parcel. Uh, I, certainly, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, it helped to open up the social media platform. This suit was moving ahead, irrespective of what happened at Twitter, because we were able to get discovery on the government side. Remember, in thanks, the day before Thanksgiving of last year, 
Ryan, we deposed Dr. Anthony Fauci. We deposed Elvis Chan of the FBI. And look, let me read from you. This judge lays out in a 154-page opinion the very things that we discovered in, 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 the, in the evidence, in the emails and the depositions. And he says, he says, the plaintiffs are likely to succeed in the mar- merits in establishing that the government has used its power to silence opposition. Okay? This is, and he goes on, he says, this is targeted suppression of conservative ideas is a perfect example of viewpoint discrimination of political speech. American citizens have the right to engage in free debate about the significant issues affecting the country. That's what's so scary about this, the fact that the government acted as a minister of truth and basically muzzled our ability to discuss things that were going on on the ground in the in way that policies that the government was cramming down our throats right. were affecting Americans. So like, how do you enforce this? So the FBI wasn't making public what they were doing. Uh, and they could honestly yeah. say, I have an investigation. This Bin Laden-like character is, uh, you know, is saying things that we find disturbing. I mean, you'd have to call an investigation on these questions and inquiries into uh, Meta and Twitter and Instagram and maybe even TikTok, correct? Well, look, yeah, we, we know that Section 230 of the federal code is protecting the big tech platforms and shunning them from a lot of liability, okay? This was a case in, the we, in which we were able to say, we're not going after big tech, we're going after the government, because if the government co-ops you to engage in an action that otherwise would be a violation of your rights if the government acted that way, basically creating agencies of big tech, then that's also a constitutional violation. There's plenty of case law in this in Fourth and Fifth Amendment um, cases. But you bring up a good point. Like, what can we do now? Look, there are there's a theory of, of law called Bevin's actions, under which citizens have the right to bring agreements against the government and hold the government liable for violating their constitutional rights. It was yep. it, these, these Bevin's actions were basically uh, laid out in Fourth and Fifth Amendment uh, violations, you know, search and seizure violations um, uh, and, and, and so forth. And so this could bring out a ton of Bevin's actions. Look, I think con- either the courts or Congress has to act. And I think Congress, what Congress could do, is Congress could pass legislation to expand the civil liability against officials and their co-conspirators by creating specific causes of action against them, including, like, punitive damages. I mean, these are the kind of things that government actors who violate our constitutional rights should be held accountable. So you give an example. The the first person I heard of shadow banning was Don Jr., he said, I used, to, I, have, uh, I used to have tremendous activity. He's like, it's gone. And I, he's like, they're shadow banning. This. I go, what's going on, Charlie Kirk? What's going on here? So it's subtle. They don't ban you. They don't banish you. You still mysteriously don't get any traffic about what you're saying. Yeah, now, would they, have a legal, would they have a legal pathway? Well, so, so let's, let me give you an example. So let's say Tucker Carlson or Robert Kennedy Jr., I'm going to take those two because we have emails directly uh, from the White House, uh, from high-level staffers in the White House, communicating directly with social media platforms, 
directing them to throttle those two back. So say Robert Kennedy Jr. We have an email. Says, hey, you got to take him out. The things he's saying, you got to you got to throttle him back. You got to take him down. Tucker Carlson, same thing. Tucker and Robert should absolutely have a direct. They could have a Bevins action against those agencies, those uh, employees in the White House and the White House itself. What I'm saying is that we should create a statute. Congress should create a statute that says that if a person like Robert Flattery, who is in the White House, if he is caught communicating with big tech, saying, you know what, we got to throttle back the Brian yeah. Kilmeade show because he's saying things that are contrary to the message of this administration, then and, and a court finds that his conduct violated your First Amendment right, he should be immediately terminated and any benefits suspended. And if he had retirement, he should be – and if he had civil service protection, he should lose it. He should be terminated. In other words, there has to be accountability. I agree. That's the whole thing. So I want you to hear, this is kind of set you up. This is March 9th of this year. Matt Taibbi, who nobody think is a right-wing journalist, and he will, will never be, by the way. He's a great guy, but he'll never be. But this is what he found when he went into Twitter, Cut 18. The original promise of the Internet was that it might democratize the exchange of information globally. A free Internet would overwhelm all attempts to control information flow. Its very existence a threat to anti-democratic forms of government everywhere. What we found in the files was a sweeping effort to reverse that promise and use machine learning and other tools to turn the Internet into an instrument of censorship and social control. Unfortunately, our own government appears to be playing a lead role. Right. And instead, he got people calling him a so-called journalist and the IRS banging on his door. Well, let me tell you this. Here's what I would respond. I'd go back and look back at this judge's opinion in the conclusion. Okay, on page 153, he starts off, this judge, Judge Doty, starts off the conclusion with with a quote from Harry Truman that says, Once a government is committed to the principle of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one place to go, and that is down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. I think that is, that's, that's Harry Truman saying that in the 1950s, okay? And Matt, and what, you, and what Matt Tabby said, what, he, what you just read, was basically what Truman did was saying we should be guarded against. It's exactly why the First Amendment was placed in the Constitution to keep our our country free, to give us an opportunity to debate ideas in the marketplace of ideas, rather than having to fight it out in the streets. And that's exactly right. These social media companies have created so much market share. Right. Of information, and now when they when they are coerced or colluded or when they partner with the government, they become an absolute instrument of terror. It basically silences the opposition. It 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 it, it basically kills everything that America stands for: the ability to have liberty and freedom and to debate and to question your government. Right. Say, wait a minute. But, but for the most part, I'd have to say this. Uh, I'm, by the way, I'm speaking to Jeff Landy, Louisiana Attorney General, uh, who has a huge ruling that it just allows, uh, will, will penalize anybody who tries to throttle free speech on social media platforms. So, so, Jeff, the other thing is, did they find that you guys were doing it, that Republicans and conservatives were doing it? Was that cited all in the 155 pages? No, no, it, no. 
In fact, if you look at the injunction, it spells out all of these actors inside the Biden administration who we have found direct evidence of them coercing big tech into throttling American speech because those Americans were questioning the motives and the policies that the administration was trying to implement on American citizens. And keep in mind, Senate Senate committee led by Ron Johnson chaired, they were taking committee videos down from YouTube. They just took down RFK on, uh, on, I think it was with Joe Rogan, talking about how he feels about vaccines. They just did this. So do you think I'm not, you know, I I do think vaccines work, but I'm not afraid to hear what RFK has to say. Well, no, we should always welcome people into the marketplace of ideas. But let's talk about something else we found inside of this. Let's talk about the 2020 election, Brian. We found specific examples of where the FBI warns social media platforms about Russian misinformation and disinformation as we came up to the 2020 election. Then all of a sudden, the Hunter Biden laptop story breaks out in the New York Post. The FBI says to those social platforms, this is Russian information, misinformation and disinformation. Then the FBI has the laptop in their possession when they know they know, I know. very well that this thing is real. And yet they don't tell the social media platforms anything for taking down all of the mentions of the laptop and what's contained in it. And we know, we do know, look, we do know, irrespective of whether you voted for President Biden or voted for President Trump, we do know that many Americans would have been moved had they known about the contents of the laptop. In other words, those votes would have either went to President Trump or maybe those people would not have voted. And therefore, Trump. And this is the analogy, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, this is what the analogy. Do you remember when the DWI came out about George Bush right before the election with Al Gore? And it really gave Al Gore a boost in the last week, evidently out of DWI when he was younger. If it was found out that Karl Rove conspired to conceal that, and then months later it turns out it would have made the election close as we ended up, he ended up winning. Obviously, we remember how history was. But that's just the way it happens. That was called the October surprise. Maybe people plot it, maybe people don't. You know, the October surprise, you could say that Hillary did because it was found out Anthony Weiner's laptop. So Anthony Weiner's laptop had all of her private emails because of her because of the, because of the wife at the time. So now all this stuff should be in the mainstream when we go for elections. And that's what and Trump you know should what? be talking about. When he talks about, I should have won the 2020, he said, if you knew everything that was out there, I would have won. That's, that's a comment. Well, but well, talking about well, ballots and stuff is a dry hole. Don't you agree? Well, well, watch. Think about what you just walked through. Think about why the First Amendment is so important. Because Americans are, should, are protected by the First Amendment. The First Amendment basically says, look, in this country – the government will not be able to control your speech and information that goes to you so that you, as an adult, I know. as a citizen, have the right to be able to ascertain for yourself, for your own individual thinking as to whether or not you want to vote for someone or not. And so you should, be, you should have all that information Absolutely. should be available to you. 
Which is the problem with early voting, too. Yeah, I mean, that's with the problem with having voting season is because things happen in the final weeks and debates happen, too, and people are voting already. Last question, only 20-second answer. What about the the, off-the-rails? What if I come up and put someone on post, and I I have some fame, and I put up something crazy like, if you go to vote, uh, you'll be attacked by snipers. That's clearly irresponsible. It's not based on fact. What does the government do then? Or what does anyone do then? What does social media platform do? Well, I mean, look, I think that the social media, they they have the ability to go back and say, look, this post is not proper. We find it to not be true. But again, look, there is a litany of cases that protect American speech in the public square. And those social media platforms, their community of interest or their, gotcha. their community standards should be based upon that. They should be based Jeff, upon Supreme Jeff, Court. listen, Correct. congratulations yeah. on the case you put together. It was so strong. This judge couldn't deny it. And the 5th District will probably uphold it, I hope. Jeff Landry, you made a difference. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Back in a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Biden is the real bad guy here. I mean, Hunter Biden's terrible, but his dad is the reason that he's the way he is. But just because you're a crack cocaine addict doesn't give you the right to take $25 million from foreign nationals and not pay a penny taxes on it. But look, this money didn't just fall into Hunter Biden's laps. It's because of Joe Biden. The evidence is is more apparent every day. And to, and to listen to Joe Biden talk about family values or to listen to Joe Biden talk about criminal justice reform or, or policy where he wants to hire more IRS employees to go after tax cheats or have more gun laws to go after people that uh, possess firearms and his own son pled guilty to two tax evasion charges. That is so key. You have a theme if you're Joe Biden. Guns are the problem, and, you know, the Richard have it too good for too long. They only pay 8%. Well, his son's paying 1%, and we're not allowed to go find out actually how much he did uh, pay. And he lied on his background check. And this guy only talks about background checks. we got to have the deep background checks. Let's do that. No credibility. And, by the way, not much with family either. you got a seventh grandchild you, you don't acknowledge. And I hate to do it. But can you imagine if Trump had something similar with his family? Instead, they are the premier family. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.